Yeah, ready All to go. All right, uh, we have Matthew Nishaim on here. Um, it's dedication time. So, Matthew, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? Well, I, I dedicated my first book to my wife. And so, um, this, this, yeah, logically. And so, because she's the one who puts up with this. So, at this time, I think I'd like to dedicate the podcast to my two boys because, you know, they have to put up with it as well. So, yeah, <laughs> Clayton and Thomas is for you. Um, is one of them uh, the extrovert and one of them the introvert or both of them? Um, I, well, I know that the youngest one's definitely extroverted because he's, he's, gets it from you. Yeah. He's the, he's the, he's the sun, he's the sunshine. He wants everybody. He want he has no problem being the center of attention. Thomas is a little back and forth so far. Your, your wife's going to go to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> living, living with three boys. <laughs> definitely. with uh on the saint paul filmcast and before i get started i want to let you know that i'm on youtube uh kyle and nick on film that's kyle and nick on film uh kyle and i pick one movie uh and we, we critique about it. it's about any kind of genre so uh check us out on youtube and you get to see what it looked like um also if you are interested um if you like crime stories pulp noirs check out my uh comic book the green way you can find it on indieplanet.com i'll put the link down below if you're interested in a uh, graphic novel black and white even though it's called the green way so check it out with us today is author matthew nishime did i get your last name right uh, close enough is it really yeah 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 okay. nishime 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 yeah, yeah it's pro it, it doesn't depends on the property <laughs> depends on probably the yeah. region right yeah, yeah all right uh, before we get to uh, you your book um which is uh, going to be into a series mm -hmm. and what's the title of the series the title of the series is song of the weaver and then yeah. the first book is the city above and below. And then, um, how many are you? Do you have a anticipation, or are we going just? Great question. I I've actually you have um, an ending in mind. I yeah, oh, I have. Or I have an ending. The ending. Yeah, I have an ending in mind. Um, and I I I've I have a broad outline that kind of brings me to about seven books right now. Okay. And so it's it's going to be pretty long. Um. As many self-published authors series often are, but um, yeah. yeah. And I like I mentioned before, if you love like David Weber sci-fi, the honor honorverse series, and if you like Dune, I think people will like your story. I I've heard that those are very good comp, com, com, comparables. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I've I've read Dune, of course. I have I know I know Honor Harrington as well. She's very good as well. Or David yeah. Weber's very good because it's like a little more of the politics of galactic, a little mm -hmm. more military. It's very much, you know, like the Dunes are gonna. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then how how did you get started on the idea? Where did this like spark? Do you know? Can you think about it? What yeah. Did came to mind. That's a that's a really good question. I you know I I started I've it's weird. A lot of people say this, but I, like like many writers, I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, I probably started writing sitting in the back of my parents car while we were driving on a vacation and yeah. i just like wrote out my own like newspaper <clears throat> and made it for my parents to read back back when i was probably in like third or fourth grade i think something like that. i think it was third grade and so um ever since then i just i just kind of been enamored by creating my own stories and then having people read them and so it, it and the the first real real bug of trying to create something much longer yeah was in eighth grade we had this study hall where <clears throat> it was the end of the year as eighth graders we didn't have finals <clears throat> and so they just stuck us on the in this study hall with a, the music teacher watching over us and he didn't give a rip and so he just he just he's the music teacher. yeah he, he he's done he, <laughs> he, he he ain't got nothing else to do he he's been teaching band class for nine months and so he just went into his office locked the door and just ignored us and so what ended up happening 30 plus eighth graders in there it got a little rowdy but i didn't i was done myself um and, you know i was a farm kid and so I, I was used to just kind of creating my own entertainment so i just started i just right. sat there and started writing out 
what it was kind of like a half comic book, half novel. Okay. Um, kind of this science fiction and fantasy type thing that was that was in my head with superheroes and it was it was I mean it was a convoluted mess and like like yeah. a lot of first efforts into a into any novel I got about. 60 70 pages into it and then didn't know where to go because that's that's how most people's first novel go and ends up right. ends up you, going you get the i just want to get started and like oh wait a minute what am i going to do about this yeah yeah, yeah. you you don't you Which don't is, know i think you should do as a kid I yeah think, and like my my nephews are a little bit they're they're elementary school kids mm -hmm. and they're like mm -hmm. what should i draw i go you know, just practice what yeah. other people draw. You mm -hmm. don't have to come up with something highly original. Just mm -hmm. get used to drawing superheroes. Get to, you know what some other people do. Eventually, your your style is going to come out. Yeah. Don't, but you're a kid. Don't worry about it now. Mm -hmm. Just stick to your obsessions. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I I went through about six or seven different phases like that between eighth grade and my early twenties, where I would just start a novel, and I would get into it and maybe I get a little farther the next time and maybe I get a little farther the next time and eventually I self-taught myself how to figure out how, how all the different parts are supposed to work because it's, it's it's you know as you know with a creative process you're not just it's not yeah. just seat of the pants you actually have to do know some structure I think a lot of people think it's very just linear yeah like you just sit down and write it out <laughs> and it's done yeah it's I, I I think it almost like a tree like a branch like one time you get mm -hmm. like a really good energy and you start writing 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 yeah or sometimes it's just it's not going to come out today and you're mm -hmm. just going to have to work at it mm -hmm. and I, I think I, I can relate to a lot of people who are athletically fit who go to the gym yeah there's just some days that are just going to be a massive struggle yeah, to do your exercises and do your weightlifting. Where some days it seems really easy. That also applies to like a writing. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. definitely a night writer. You're a night writer. I yep. yeah. After ten o'clock, then I get started. Oh really? Yeah. Ten o'clock. Well, because I don't have any kids. And yeah. Night. There's no distraction. Uh -huh. And a lot of the stuff I do revolves around like noirs. Yeah. Like, like the, uh, the I'm doing Mercenary Kingdom, and a lot of the action takes place at night. If you're very, and it's, you know, nobody's going to ring the phone. Yeah. <laughs> no. And then the cars and the traffic and the noise. So it's a, like a light of, a lot of quietness. And do you have like a writing space? I yeah. I have to stick to my writing space, but. Yeah. Are you, what kind of, do you have your own little studio or you could just sit at um, the city parking? Right now, I, I, I've, well, I mean, COVID's disrupted me quite a bit. I usually go to a coffee shop and stuff like that. That's typically where I go. I like to be around people put my headphones on and then and then go that way that's pretty much what's going on in la yeah. i think people they have that perception that mm -hmm. la is this you know rich elite people making mm -hmm. movies mm -hmm. no it's just coffee shops littered with mm -hmm. laptops and people writing scripts yeah yeah the, most of the people who are writing writing are the people who aren't making typically a, a ton of money unless no. you unless you unless you can do the full writing producing directing yeah. Then you're the then you like like uh, who's the guy um, that just did Tenet? Nolan, Christopher Nolan. Like he can do all three, and so he, yeah. you know, he doesn't. He can just be like, I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, do you do outlines, or is this an exercise, or are you just? I kinda... I'm typically a meticulous outliner. Um, are you really? Yeah, I with the first book. Well, I shouldn't be surprised because the, the amount of content you put into your your stories, I think you would have to almost requires that you have to. Yeah, I, I, the the people who uh, who typically don't, and the, the one the people I, who I've met who who don't do a lot of outlining are typically, you know, single protagonist, single conflict. Yeah, you know, with a, with maybe a romantic interest or a comedic back, you know, sidekick thrown in there. I I. <clears throat> I, I have six of those <laughs> in one novel and yeah. and so I, I in order to weave all those together and, and to have the, all the world building I, I need a, I need an outline is that the intentional calling it the weaver or is it another definition because you said uh, weaving all these characters together oh yeah I I, I, I like the words weaving and thread a lot okay. <laughs> in fact when I when I label my files in my in my in my computer about which which ones uh, for for the outline, I, I call them threads. <laughs> well, I, I had to do the whole spider web connection for my script because yeah, I, I, I had many different uh, 
analogies because I had characters who thought this perception yep. and point of view, and I had to make sure that was their point of view and that's the way they're going to mm-hmm. talk, and I had who they had contacting with. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a lot of spider webbing. I didn't really do an outline. I did more mm-hmm. of a spider webbing mm-hmm. of, okay, this character, what's their motivation drive and what they yeah. perceive as the reality because I have to do a lot of tw- – I intentionally put a lot of twists into it because yeah. as a comic book, you need – it's a very – visual format it's not like a writer yeah. where, not written text where you can go inside minds and you can mm. set but you need a visual payoff and yeah. i knew i was going to do a lot of dialogue so i needed something a lot of plot twists to keep entertaining mm-hmm. in a comic book format because i don't have a lot of explosions i don't have car chases mm-hmm. and I, I don't really have a lot of that so i needed a lot of plot twists and stuff like yeah that. yeah yeah and it, I, you can tell with because with your weird detective well it's it's a i mean it's a detective noir or several things that kind of at once it's kind of like a pulp fiction mixed with a, a classic defense detective yeah. novel in the same thing and so it's 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 it i can see it's 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 very intricate i um i was uh when i was at age 11 i was obsessed with perry mason oh yeah <laughs> well they would as a kid they would like in the late 80s they would rerun it at 11 mm-hmm. o'clock and i remember in summers i would watch perry mason mm-hmm and then my summer day with my friends started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think that, of course, when you do things as a kid, it's going to believe or as adults. So I love mm-hmm. that murder mystery, mm-hmm. black and white, noirs, mm-hmm. you know, Maltese Falcon. Eventually it's going to come out. Mm-hmm. Plus mm-hmm. I saw there was a void of that in comic books. Yeah. Because I do like superheroes. I mean, we're around superhero comic books, but it's it's mm-hmm. an art form. You can have mm-hmm. horror comic books and they're hard. Yeah. Like that. And then it just, I didn't find any crime pulp noirs on shelves. And I was like, well, I... Somebody's got to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that—that's where a lot of writers come from. I'm, I'm gonna you, you, you say, you see, you, you, you've read everything within a maybe a genre or a sphere or a, like an entire industry, like yeah. a, like comic books, and then you see you, you don't see something that you really want to read. Yeah, and then you're like, well, shoot, why don't I write that? You know, like, yeah. and and that's what separates. <clears throat> a real writer and a creator from the random person who comes up to you at a convention and says, I have this really good idea and I, why I need, you should write it for me. You know, yeah. like, like those, those people are, 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 I love those people. I love talking to those people, but man, you should write it. Right. <laughs> you know I, what I, I mean? Yeah. I, 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 I only have, I have, I have my notebook filled with, 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 with projects that I'm probably never going to get to. I you think know. you're like Tarantino. He's got movie scripts, hundreds of them. Yeah. They're just not going to. He's never going to get to all of them. Do you, um, are you comfortable writing dialogue? Oh, I love dialogue. Yeah. Okay. I love dialogue. Dialogue's, dialogue's probably, um, probably my one i don't know it it it, it comes ver- it, it's one of the easier things for me to write i, I action and dialogue are the, two, the two of this the two of the e- easier things to write for me i think i get too much self-indulge when i do that mm. i'm not it's, you know this is the first time ever writing mm. and then i got caught with just so much exposition that i was like i don't you know, and that was my first evaluation mm-hmm. these characters don't seem real they're just spitting out nonsense mm. so i was like all right i have to make sure these people are living Mm, that mm-hmm. they do exist mm-hmm. that they're have they're not just you know talking about the day you know? yeah yeah no i they, i thought your dialogue was very good i mean that i mean from just from my my well i worked at it for 12 years it, <laughs> <laughs> it was in the oven for 12 years it should uh, okay yeah yeah. Yeah, you, you, yeah that would do it that yeah. would do it yeah yeah but yeah but yeah di- dialogue is for me it's one of the one of my one of my favorite things right of course and of course i've i've written so many different things and i you know how I I think how I got really good with dialogue was, and this this might sound if if there's any other writers out there this, this some some of you might be like what and other 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 writers might be like I I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> I developed my ear for dialogue, and if you read my book, I you, you, if you read my book, you may not think I'm good at all. But this is how I developed my 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 ear for dialogue was playing Dungeons and Dragons. And because no kidding, if you are sitting there and I, I'm, I'm the, are you familiar with Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the guy who I'm the dungeon master. The master yeah. I'm the writing the story. Yeah. And so I have to play. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Right. Yeah. yeah. I have so to write the stories. Yeah. Right? I write the stories. And so I have to play everybody who the characters are interacting with. And so 
you know, and, and for anybody who's not familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, picture Lord of the Rings and all the people who are playing are playing the Fellowship. Yeah. Oops, and the Dungeon Master is playing everybody else. And then there's stats and there's dice involved, and that's that's basically D&D. And so um, I'm, I'm the guy who's playing everybody else, and so I will actually map out and come up with keys, uh, phrases to start bits of dialogue yeah. with my different players to, to, to key in the different like mysteries or intrigues or, 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 or clues that they need to uncover in the next dungeon or the, or the, the evil nobleman that they need to unmask or whatever. And, and then that, that's how I develop my, my, my dialogue because I've been playing D and D and I've been the dungeon master probably Ever since I was in seventh or eighth grade was when my cousin got me sucked into it, okay. you know? And right. so, yeah. Is that intentionally why chapters are a character centered from doing D&D? So like each chapter, you know, when you do your story, there's a chapter, it's like your character chapters. Yeah. Um, the only reason I ask is George R. R. Martin is a play D&D and that's how he writes. Oh, he plays D&D? He did play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that he played D and D. Yeah, I mean, and that's funny because I learned that because I I'm a huge George R. R. Martin fan. I had no idea. And that's one of the things when I read it when I was in college, Game of Thrones. When I read it in the oh. early 2000s, I was like, this guy's this guy's a D and oh. I kind of sensed that. And then when I read yours, I was like, I think Matt. Matt, Matt is, I don't know. I, he might. He might. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No. Huge D and D nerd. I also played, uh, or I still play, um, the Star Wars. Um, old West End game system, yeah. which is which is I think it's the best role playing game system that's ever been invented ever. Um, I think the D twenty the the D twenty system is very good. I think the the West End games D six system is even better because it you, I can teach it to my grandmother in thirty minutes and she's playing. Yet there's still <laughs> enough complexity there that uh, a, a veteran who's been playing for twenty years will still sit and meticulously pick out how he wants to design his character. So yeah, because a lot of I think if you have an experience doing D and D, yeah, details, yep, are variants, and there's a lot of detail mm-hmm. in your especially mm-hmm. in your book. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like I like that you breaking up by characters. Yeah. So like if you read Matthew's book, it's like chapter one is this character, and then chapter whatever is this mm-hmm. character. Yep. And you're kind of weaving. Yeah, yeah, and it and that that yeah, and it it starts with Par. Um, and if I could tell you a, a, a funny story about Par, Par is an assassin. Um, yeah, he, he he's the one on the cover. He's the one on the cover. Okay. Yep, he's the one on the cover. And so if you see if you see the the if you look up the book on Amazon, you'll see Par is on the cover. He's got kind of a trench coat on, and then you'll see a blade forming around his hand, and that is the swarm of nanobots that he is symbiotically um, linked with, and they assist him in his different spy-slash-assassin duties. Like, they can open it's locks. It's kind of like his Alfred. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Just like, just like what's, what's his name? Was it Morik um, or Alfred? What, what was that? What's that one from? Oh, Alfred, just the butler for Batman. Oh, oh the butler for Batman. Oh, yeah. Alfred, Alfred. Yeah. Okay, ba- okay. I was thinking. Um, but a lot of people, there's a lot of sense of like, um, well, Firestar. Oh, um, okay. Who's got a? He's got a, a person in more in his body that helps him. Oh. But this is like this is like technology that actually speaks to him, right? Mm-hmm. To yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's not artificial intelligence that that inhabits the, um, inhabits the. Uh, the the nanobots and they've his par's motivation is that he he's his son has a terminal illness and uh par's masters have promised him that they're gonna eventually try to find a cure for his son's terminal illness and so that's why he's that's what he he does these jobs these these jobs yeah Yeah. so he's not always a good guy was this that was that the start of the character was that one of the starts the initial to get to going or one of the first ones you know par Came about. Par was the last character I wrote. Really, in City of the City of Babylon, he was the okay. last character I added. But he, of course, now he's on the cover, and he's the first chapter of the book. Yeah, <laughs> and so he, he's it's a huge the, plot twist. Yeah, a huge <laughs> plot twist. It was one of those discovery things where I was like, I need somebody who's doing job X. I need him to go after. I need I need to tell the from the perspective of one of the villains. Yeah, and I was like, well. I don't want to just write a straight up villain because they're not always that interesting. <clears throat> like, like, like a straight up, like just a bad guy, 
You know what I mean? Like just an evil human being. Like I, I already yeah. had an evil human being that was that was involved. I need the other the other guy who maybe isn't bad, but is sent to do something bad. And that's when I came up with Par. Um, and so he kind of became like this, uh, you know, he, 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 out of all the characters in the book, I would say he's the probably the one that is, if I could be a science fiction character, I would be Par. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I, I've read it twice. Mm-hmm. And I got a sense of, you know, using my references that he's like a mixture of Bubba Fett and Hot Solo. It's almost like a blending mm-hmm. and very mm-hmm. much like he's on his own, but he's also not necessarily a bad guy. Yeah. But it, he's definitely, he needs assistance like the Nando mm-hmm. and stuff like, like Han Solo. He, needs, yeah. he always needs a crew, but he's kind of like Bubba Fett where he can do things mm-hmm. on his own and he's hired to do jobs. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, there's something there that we don't really yeah. need to find. Yeah. Yeah. Similar I think to he's the, a really fascinating character. Thank you. Thank you. I, 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 he, I'm very proud of him. It, I, and, and I, I would like to do, I have I have an outline for a solo par book that yeah. that's just him and I I'd may if I would like to get to that um you know again in the future um to, to where I I'm just writing once I finish the song of the weaver series well you, maybe your kids are gonna have to grow up and then yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the boys have to grow up and here yeah dad's got a job yeah so um what are the other um interesting components is um well it brings up by the title city mm-hmm. above and below so we're talking about Two different geographical locations on one planet. Am I going to remember? Right? Yes. Yeah. There, there's the um, there's the the city. The 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 the, the plot is, of the book is. I just that, want to clarify for my listeners. That's mm-hmm. the title of book one of the series, City yep. Above and Below. Yeah, yeah. And and within this this series, there's there's both the um, there's the corporal physical world, and then there's also the shadow world um, that I call within the book, I call it the other. And so the first, the first book is kind of an exploration of what, of, of, of just entering into the other and, and step and stepping into that journey. That is, that, that is this shadow world that's called the other. And par is to segue from par to the other par is the, is, is an assassin that's sent to hunt down um, a family that um the refugee the, re- the yeah that the, well there's the, the royal family on this planet of arc the, there's this war that's been going on <clears throat> the royal family is on the losing side <clears throat> they're about to lose the war it's the final battle of the war the coalition is closing in on them and these two girls <clears throat> delia and fell have to escape the planet yeah before um the coalition closes in on the capital city. Thus, yes. the na- title of the book is "The City Above," which is the city of Sindorum. And then, um, Fell. <clears throat> what happens there is that she, um, rather than escaping with her older sister Delia, Fell decides to go in search of her father, who is determined to die <laughs> fighting. <laughs> um, but if we, what he regards as noble. What he guards is noble. Yep, he yeah. thinks he's going to go down with the ship, yeah. um, and she goes um, on her way to try to, to 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 get to her father to save him because she's warned that he's in trouble. Um, she's warned that he's in trouble by a um, a spirit from the other um, called an Anir. Yeah, and uh, and that's that leads her to go to I don't know, kind of sneak off on her own um like a selfish young child so selfish young 12 year old will yeah. yeah um to to go try to find her father and then and then and then and then prevent him from from destroying himself this is i don't know, i'm just going to let, let listeners know this is just one slice of the story right right <laughs> That's right side, yeah, yeah yeah and so there the delia is trying to get off the planet phil's trying to sneak away to get to her father while par is 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 trying to hunt those two girls down yeah in the middle of a war zone and then i also tell the perspective of, of the three different soldiers from within the coalition as they're advancing on the capital city to finally smash um the king which his name is King Tiam, um, King Tiam's 
last group of resistance. I thought <laughs> the perception of the coalition, which I try to do with my script, I try mm-hmm. to make the with the perception of the bad guys as does perception of the good guys. Mm-hmm. And I think you kind of do the same here. Mm-hmm. We kind of serve the same that you're doing uh, the, the, the the refugees, mm-hmm. but also the politicking and the <laughs> the um, rankings inside the coalition. That it's not mm-hmm. just one uniform anonymous army mm-hmm. moving in, but actually there's some deep characters involved yeah. i thought that was a juicy part of the story Thank i actually you. loved it i yeah. loved it yeah the i having i i was as you know i was in the the military for five years and so i i you know i don't view soldiers as kind of these autonomous stormtroopers that they, they're, they're sometimes picture depicted as in different things right. i view them more of like a battlestar galactica type of type of sense and so um you know i I give two i give a pilot that's pretty heroic taylor's pretty heroic even though she's you know conflicted in some ways she's she's the hot dog pilot yes there's a female uh, character inside the coalition that's part of the the, yep yep Yep. and then uh atticus who's a more kind of a john snow type character he's very noble he's he's attempting to to lead his men into battle but he's surrounded by other the other intrigues of the other officers and then there's ortho who this he's the most fascinating character <laughs> and i i think i i, I don't want i'm sorry go ahead, go ahead because you bring him up but i think i met when i finally got to his t- character mm-hmm. and i said this is the glue mm-hmm. to the script yeah i think this is this is not something that's got muscles and her you know heroic <laughs> but this is somebody that everybody can relate to yeah that he's not—he's part of this war, but he doesn't—he's got some other. He doesn't skills. want to be here at all. Yeah, he doesn't want. <laughs> right, so he's almost—I would like almost like Tyrion. Yeah, yeah, but you need somebody like that in a character. You need mm-hmm. somebody that's, and I always bring it up that it's like the conscious character. Yeah, and I think we've done enough. I've done writing workshops, and mm-hmm. somebody that always kind of seems like they're in a story. Yeah, the character almost seems like they know they're a character in a story, yeah. and I always sign that kind of. I think Ortho knows. And he's trying to avoid it at all. Yeah. <laughs> Get me out of here. Get me <laughs> but out of here. But you said you relate to him more than any other character. I relate to him. He Out of all the, the military characters especially, I relate to him the most because when I was in the when I was first in the army, I was a, of the, about the same rank. And Was uh, it intentional or just like accidentally like, oh, crap, this is me? Crap. Well, <laughs> yeah. So when I was first writing – as I mentioned before, I, I was writing. Uh, I've, I, they took me about six, seven attempts of writing a novel before I finally started getting it down enough. I started writing this novel. <clears throat> um, my original intention of writing this novel was was it for it to be a graphic novel that I would put online as a web comic. Yeah. Um, and I was writing writing that the script for it while I was in Afghanistan. Um, and you wrote this in Afghanistan. I started writing it in Afghanistan, okay. and the first three characters I had, I had Dalia, I had um, Dalia's younger sister, which had, at that that time her her name was Ria, um, and had Ria was very different from Fel, completely different from Fel. Um, she was she wasn't any she didn't she wasn't nearly as as good as Fel, and so I had Dalia, I had Ria, yeah. and then I had Atticus, and then I had Taylor. And then um, I discovered Ortho in this character that he, I needed somebody who was telling it from another perspective within the coalition's military so that I could yeah. give, give a full picture of, of all the intrigue that was going on there. And I just thought, well, I don't want to write it from the perspective of the generals because generals and, 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 the, and the high up commanders are usually pretty boring people and 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 honestly everybody writes from the officer's point of view it yeah. every single movie um every single book it's always a colonel or a captain or or at best a lieutenant and i was like i just want to write the joe gi That's who hates okay. everything and has everybody craps on him because in the military crap rolls downhill and if yeah. you're at the bottom of the food chain you are getting a lot of crap yeah and ortho gets all of it <laughs> and it, well you get this I, I like this character i believe that he exists because you get mm-hmm. this sense of weight to him mm-hmm. that this is you know you have this sense of this is heroic this is going to this is this war is going to end and everything and i think ortho doesn't know this is just another link to another 
narrative that's yeah. coming along. This is this is not going to be endless. Yeah, this, this is not going to end. This is actually endless. To yeah. And mm-hmm. why are we giving a rush? He's late to the meeting because, you know, it's the same meeting that we, I've had a thousand times before. You're going to say the same stuff. Yeah. 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 I'm sure he's witnessing a lot of death by PowerPoint. <laughs> and that's exactly. he. Is, yes. And he would and he would much rather have death by PowerPoint than actually being thrown out into the field because yeah. he's about 40 pounds overweight. And he really doesn't like carrying all this gear. And he's never enjoyed a firefight in his life. But he keeps getting sent out there anyway because yeah. um, his coworker is sleeping with his boss. And so she's not the one that's going to get sent no. out there. He's the he's he's the lackey. He's yeah. going to go. But I think he has the intellect to know how to navigate when to speak yeah. up, when is not to speak up. And mm-hmm. the, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's definitely the glue to, because if you don't have that character, it seems very archic of just, you know, good guys, bad guys with muscles yeah. and very much like Star Wars when you're just shooting them there. But you need somebody that's outside of that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. He was, he, he kind of was one of the characters that made it special. Yeah. yeah. So you actually started, did you, in Afghanistan, do you have like a little notepad or we had access to an iPad? What do you do? How did you, did you do it old fashioned on paper? Um, I had a laptop with me. Okay. I was actually stationed on a, on a very large, the largest base in Afghanistan, which is Bagram. And so um, despite the fact that I was living in a plywood hut, um, I could uh, walk down to the, the, the um, I could type it out. I, I could we I could go to one of the they had they had these lounges which were from the the USO lounges. Okay. I could I could sit at the USO lounge. I could write, and then what I would do is I would go down to the the market, and I could hire a guy to print out like stacks of the script, oh. and then I would take it with me on patrol, <laughs> and with my pen like when we would sit up set up a patrol base sure. and I would have because I, I had advanced far enough. This was my second tour. I advanced far enough that we could set up a patrol base and then we would sit inside our 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 MRAPs and read books or talk about girls or eat potato chips and stuff like that. And so I you know rather than reading Maxim magazine for the fiftieth time, I would sit and you know work on my work on my 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 what ended up being my novel. Uh, I think a lot of people, and I, my, my next door neighbor was, he's in the military still. Okay. Um, and he just, he talks about there's definitely a lot of downtime. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of downtime. Hurry up and move so you can have more downtime over there. You know, mm-hmm. that's what he relates to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, there's a lot of downtime with movies. I don't think people understand yeah. it, but to what you see maybe like for five minutes takes about 10 hours to yeah. set up. So there's definitely a lot of downtime where you sit and converse. Okay. Or people are like, hey, mm-hmm. I pitched your movies and you talk about other mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it definitely relates that even though you're in this environment, that's a lot of downtime where your mind can dry it off. Oh yeah. I, I work custodian, mm-hmm. a night shift custodian where you, that was, that's where my ideas flourish because you're just sitting mm-hmm. there thinking, what about this? What about this? And you have my yeah. little notepad and you're sitting right down. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we're going to take a small break uh, here and we'll be back more with Matthew. Yeah. On the Vintage Video Podcast, we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s on their 40th anniversaries. John enters the store now to order another can of ether. I picture him outside like Homer with the gas hall. <laughs> one for you, one for me. I also like to think about it, that the kids renew their vow not to talk about the murder. By, by murdering <laughs> someone. <laughs> They're taking a blood oath with someone else's blood. This stuff is seven times more powerful than uranium. And yeah. they, they open up the vault that it's contained in, not wearing any kind of protective nope. gear. Yeah. And it's wooden crates. Wooden crates. It's like the guys in Chernobyl picking up the graphite rocks yeah. and going, eh, because there's rocks. Hugging the elephant foot. <laughs> just like, oh, this thing's smooth. It's so warm. He turns to dial the number from the classified ad without even thinking about the numbers. <laughs> we know this because we can hear his thoughts and he's talking about how AJ was right that ninjas are misdirecting him. They're misdirecting him. I really wish that he'd turn to the phone and be like, six, six, five. Vintage Video. We're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. with Matthew Nisheim. Um Before I want to continue, and I, I apologize, I should have done it first, but we'll put the link down. Uh, where can people find your book? 
uh, on Amazon. Um, you can just you can either just search um, "City Above and Below" um, or Matthew Enesheim or 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 "Song of the Weaver" and okay. and you'll find it. Um, it's it's kind of got an or- gold slash orangish cover on it, and it, it it's in big letters on it. So. Can they order it from you on Facebook? The link to Amazon is on my Facebook okay. as, as well. Um, there there's also a link. <clears throat> On my website, songsoftheweaver.com, where you can where you can buy the book definitely very well. Definitely put the link up there yeah. so people can find it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're definitely working on the second book of the series right now. Yeah, working on the second book of the series. Um, briefly, got detoured into trying to work on some uh, prequel novels and side projects this summer. Um, <clears throat> that was as COVID was eating into my schedule. Um, I'm I I'm mostly. You know, I, 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 my, what I do is I write and I, I'm a stay at home parent. And so I'm building my business while taking care of my two young boys. And so, um, when COVID put my six year old at home along with my three year old, my world got, yeah, my writing time, my, my, my time budget got really thin for a while. You might have to be a dull and trumbo and just write in the bath because just get away from his family. Yeah, that was a good point in the movie Trumbull. Where he's oh, okay, writing, he's writing in the bath just to <laughs> being with his family, but it's almost like he likes that environment of close. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wish. And and then the, what what killed me was the fact that that all the coffee shops closed. I mean, it, it was understandable given the the, the circumstances. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think at the especially the early days, nobody knew what was going on and nobody knew what to believe, but. You know, it, uh, it it was it was difficult losing my writing space because I I went from being able to get out of the house for three four hours a night and get three four hours of writing a, a time in yeah. to okay I'm in the house and my writing time is completely dictated by whether or not my children are screaming. So, so it definitely, um, do we have a forecast of when can we see the second book? Coming? You know. Um, I'm working there definitely with all the hurdles that you put out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was hoping to get it done much faster than I have. Um, and the, I you know, a lot of people like to say that the first book's the hardest one that you'll ever write. I think the second one's the hardest one that you ever write. Cause I've seen so many writers of series stumble on their second book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. Cause and I, I want to, if I can use an analogy, Mm-hmm. I use it like golf. Mm-hmm. The first shot is what everybody talks about, mm-hmm. but it's always the second shot that's the will keep you in the game. Yep, it's always the second one. The third one probably is the putt or the putting, mm-hmm. but the second one where you're less than hundred yards is where you really have to be mm-hmm. spot on. Yeah. So like the first book is where you show everybody off. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I am. Yep. But the second time is you really focus on your game. Yeah. Yeah. And I can put that in golf there. Yeah. 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 And, and you can see it with, um, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the writer uh, Patrick Rothfuss, who wrote the Name of the Wind series. Yes. Um, who's, who's a great writer. Um, his first book is amazing. His second book is very, very good. But I would, you know, a lot of people would say that maybe the, 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 <clears throat> that it's maybe just a step below the first book. And it was, I think it was from what I've heard about him. It, it's a, it's a, was a struggle for him to get the second book out. And then okay, now he's stuck on the third. And so, um, you know, I just, I, I wish him the best, and I hope he, he does fi- eventually finish the third because I think it's a brilliant series. But I think that, you know, that was a, his, and it definitely seems to be uh, what happened with him. That the his tr- the third one's tough, man. Third one's tough too. Yeah. I mean, Dark Knight Rises is a hot mess. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, Return of the Jedi is just, you know, everybody knows it's the third. Yeah. I mean, every, if you want to think about the triptych is the first one is the good guys get the punch in the nose. Yeah. Um, no, the bad guy. The first book, the bad guys get the punch in the nose. The second time is the bad guys win. And the third time is everything gets resolved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that's always gets played out. And yeah. I, I always be aware of that. That's tough to, because everybody thinks the third one it's tough, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, closing it can be difficult as well. But I like the second one for me. Way I'm refining my process. Yeah, I'm refining how I do this, and I'm and I'm outlining 
um, the rest of the series as well. And so I'll, I'll say this much. Um, I, when I was writing book one, um, it took me about three and a half years, but that was while both of my two sons were, my oldest son had just been born when I started and my youngest son was born almost when I finished right near what, right, right before I finished it. And then, and so that was, you know, the, almost the busiest time as a parent. And then on top of that, I was getting my master's in business administration as well. And so I was in graduate school while having both of my sons. But your experience in D&D, you can handle. <laughs> and so <laughs> different brand. Yeah, I can, I can write, I will write the second book in much faster than that. Um, I started last summer, um, is when I, cause it took me a while to learn how to market the book and build the business. So around it. And so now I'm, now I'm deep into writing book two. <clears throat> and yeah. so it's, it's going well, it's going well. I'm hopefully, hopefully within the next, next year, year and a half is when I'm, I'm hoping to, to finish it. Okay. All right. And then it, as long as the pace is by probably by 2021, we could see the second one coming. That's so what I'm, that's what I'm hoping. Probably around a year from now. Yeah. 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 Well, that, it, it gives pl people plenty of time to read all the the, the, the mm -hmm. full content of your first one. Yep. Because there's a lot of stuff involved. In yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 453 pages. <laughs> when we're on break, we uh, both and I share a mutual uh, respect for Philip K. Dick and in, uh, in his books, and definitely an inspiration for you as well. Mm -hmm. And outside of uh, Frank Herbert, and, uh, and then we can probably put David Weber in there. Too. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about uh, Philip K. Dick is definitely with dualities of mm -hmm. one side and the other. And I just want to mention where you it was conscious because you're definitely with your title, City Above and Below. Are you? working both ends kind of from like an inspiration from Kip Philip K. Dick. You know, I, I, my, one of my favorite movies of all time is Blade Runner 2049. And, and I, I mean, I, I love the original Blade Runner as well. Um, but I, I, I felt like, um, you know, if I were to sit down and watch one movie, it would be probably be 2049. Um, <clears throat> as much as I love the original, um, especially the, well, the ending original is more of a noir. I don't think it's, it's like sci-fi. I think it's more of a crime noir mystery, right? <clears throat> it, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I mean, you'll find it in the sci-fi shelf, Yeah, but, and it's not <clears throat> definitely nothing like, and do Android's dream of Jack, uh, the, the story. Yeah. But yeah, I think if you Philip K. Dick world, mm -hmm. that one, the sequel is definitely mm -hmm. of his origins mm -hmm. of what he really kind of writes. It's very dirty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very dark. <laughs> very dark. And the orange mist, which was in the, oh, yeah. in the book. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, oh, well, thank you. Yeah. 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 That's the stunning visuals in that. And, you know, it, it was kind of. Yeah, of course it it didn't do as well in the box office as they hoped that it would. Um, I think I don't know if it made money or not. I think it was right on the edge, yeah. um, box office. And I think that it was one of those. It's one of those things where within science fiction, <clears throat> right now, specifically in science fiction and fantasy, <clears throat> we're still kind of in this space especially in the West and in, 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 in America where we're still kind of living in, in, in what I, I, I feel is like kind of like a, a post Harry Potter kind of superhero type of world where we're still really looking at these, um, these stories and our ex expectation is that <clears throat> we're putting all of these special people who have these special abilities, we're teaming them up together and then we're sending them on this adventure. And what, the differences between what, what what made 2049 so special to me is that you have characters that um, take responsibility for something. Yeah, you know, in the in 2049, Agent K is taking responsibility for something outside of himself, and and, and to yeah. me that that's the difference between an adult story. And a young adult story. In if you look at Harry Potter, and I'm I love Harry Potter. I, I've I've read 
I've read at least three, four of the books. Okay. I, I think that the I think that Rowling's very good, very good writer. I think I put her right up there with um in, in terms of influence, right up there with a lot of others like like I, I would you know I would put with with with, with Frank Herbert. Um <clears throat> in terms of influence. Yeah. But she's writing it. So there's a reason it's a young adult young adult story. Yeah. It's because Harry Potter <clears throat> is He's the chosen one. He's special. He comes from a terrible background. Um, his parents are dead. His family's abusive. They put the, and then they put him in in a school. And he's but he's not asked to take responsibility for anything outside of himself. His teachers are there to take care of him. He's got friends who are very good to him. He's got enemies who don't yeah. like him. He's got other people within the school that are out to get him. There's a lot of intrigue within the school because it's always an evil teacher that's out to get him. Yeah. Right. And so he has to deal with some backstabbing and some spies, but he's very rarely the center of the story is rarely about Harry Potter taking responsibility for something other than Harry Potter. His job is to defeat Voldemort, which is really more of a uh, an expression of self-discovery, which is because Voldemort killed his parents and he has to fulfill his value as a chosen one by defeating Voldemort. It's very similar to a superhero because as, as most superheroes, and I'm, I'm going to say, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say superheroes in a general sense. I should say the Avengers because in the Avengers, well, you can, you can open up to majority yeah. superheroes have a horrible background. They have more, more, more have a horrible background, but um, a lot of the, 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 the stories that we're seeing with the Avengers, the Avengers, the one, the ones that are really popular right now. Yeah are similar in, 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 in this sense where they are special. They team up with another group of special people, much like Harry Potter does. He teams up with the other wizards, and then they're sent to defeat the bad guy. Whereas in, say, Blade Runner 2049, or I, I, would, I was thinking of maybe a better, better example would be um, like Lord of the Rings, um, where you have two very ordinary people, Frodo and Sam, who yeah. inherit the ring almost by accident. He, 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 it, Frodo did not choose to pick up the no, ring. Right. He had, he had nothing to do with getting the and ring. Yeah. He was, and he doesn't want to share it with anybody because he knows, because yeah. he knows how terrible it is. Yeah. He agrees <clears throat> out of the goodness of his heart to take the ring to, to Elrond. And, 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 and then once they have the council of Elrond, then he says, okay, well, if nobody else will do it, I'll take the ring. Then they form the fellowship around him, and then as soon as he sees the fel- the 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 Boromir turn on him, he takes responsibility for the ring, yeah. and says, "Okay, I'm not going to watch my friends slowly destroy themselves over this thing that I've that's my responsibility. <clears throat> I'm going to be responsible for this, and I'm going to be responsible for the people around me, and I'm going to take this ring and go to mortar mortar myself." And then Sam. <clears throat> It says, okay, if Frodo's leaving the Shire, I'm leaving with him because I'm going to take care of him. Yeah. If Frodo's leaving the council, if Frodo's leaving the elves to go to Mordor by himself, I'm going to go with him. If Frodo's going to leave the, the fellowship <clears throat> um, by himself, I'm going to go with him. And it, then when Frodo gets to the base of Mount Doom, can't go any further, Sam picks him up, puts him on his back, and carries him up to the thing and this is the difference between a young adult story a child story and an adult story because in in the in the children's world you're treated like you're special you're you're a special individual you're wrapped around you all all the people who you who who know you your teachers your parents your relatives they they they're there to take care of you they're there to educate you they're they're there to wrap you kind of in a cocoon ideally a cocoon right, yeah. of, 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 yeah. of that's going to help you develop into a into a proper person and so you're on a journey of self-discovery but then once you become an adult that's no longer true anymore <clears throat> you're supposed to take responsibility for stuff you're supposed to be responsible for other people whether it's your children your wife your house your friends right yeah your business your co-workers and so right now i think that there's this huge audience out there right now that is kind of waiting for more stories that are about adult things. Right. A little more 
maturity. A little more maturity, where, um, where the hero or heroine is taking responsibility. Yeah, the, the superhero stuff gets a little more, I would say, glassed over. Mm-hmm. A little more, free. okay, and then that's board meeting. You know, let's make sure it's kid-friendly. Kid the Marvel friendly. stuff. Yeah, where Especially. a lot of things I, even I'm hungry for. Let's let's grow up a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. kids can handle a little more grow up stuff. I mean, yeah, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that really is not for kids. No, but it's kind of a background from kids. You know, the Tony the Pirates, all the short reels, yeah. all that stuff. But it's not going to bend to the kids' point of view. We're right. going to do definitely do an adult movie here, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we're like. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Obviously, there's going to be some kids, but we're going to see a perspective of a. Yeah. world here mm-hmm. yeah yeah and he that throughout the show he's he's you know he's responsible for his girlfriend joy he's yeah. he's 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 taking he's ta- taking apart the, the mystery and trying to figure out what's going on here you know and so um because when i read um when i read philip k dick's um do androids dream of electric sheep mm-hmm. i think the whole core of it was empathy mm-hmm. can you be a good person without empathy right which is what the androids don't have. You mm-hmm. know, you have... Uh, uh, they're essentially psychopaths. <laughs> right, they're psychopaths. And they, they know... Well, eventually the character realized that that's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, what's it? The female android, the pleasure... It, to, she's sitting there plucking the mm-hmm. legs off a fly just for yeah. curiosity reasons. Knowing that it's not... That's a horrible thing to do. And she doesn't... It doesn't gravitate to her. Yeah. Or Deckard doesn't really have an empathy for anybody. Yeah. He's just doing a job. Then you don't really know. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, that is a very adult theme to this whole story. Yeah. Can you be an adult and do, be a good person and not have empathy? Or do you have to have empathy? Yeah. 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 And that's that's that would be another example of a really good adult theme is, is yeah, it, it's a, something, some, something's a deeper moralistic yeah question like that i think when you, when you write and you have a single theme that's tough yes that is tough yes that's tough i i've often found that writing something short is much can be much harder than writing something long i think that uh I, we were talking about screenwriting and it it occurred to me i think that writing short films indie short films might be the hardest form of writing that i can think right, of because you have to know these characters quick fast and you got to get it out without yeah it seem natural yeah you have yeah. to write something very condensed very short and your budget is you know what some guy can pull out of his savings account and still <laughs> and then <laughs> and not making any money off of or something you know <laughs> Um, do you when you watch movies? Do you just stick to sci-fi, or do you watch others? Uh, I write. I watch everything. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm actually terrible for for reading science fiction. I don't like writing reading science fiction. Most of what I read is is nonfiction or or fiction. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. And what? Uh, but what I watch is I, I watch. You know, like a lot of people, I watch just about anything. I I really like watching historical dramas. Are some of my favorite because that that that's nonfiction. Not that type that the historical nonfiction is also what I read a lot of. As a person that's just started working on film sets and you you would do uh, fictional narrative stories, Mm -hmm. I applaud documentaries. Mm -hmm. How you can take something that okay you can't that was really good. Can you do that again? You don't can't do that in documentary. You Mm -hmm. have to take what people give you Mm -hmm. and make it into an enticing story. And sometimes Mm -hmm. what you have an idea for is not all necessarily is going to happen. Yeah. Case in point of uh, like uh, they just did the Apollo Eleven documentary mm. that came out last year, mm. um, or something like that. You just have to take the footage. Yeah. And as an editor, you have to make it enticing. Mm-hmm. What they give you, you mm. can't be like, oh, take two, take three, mm-hmm. you know, or where you cut up. You have to be very lucky, and you have to be at the right time, and you have to be talented. There's three skills in doing documentaries that. Hmm. I applaud them for doing it. Yeah, I suppose that that's why there's so many World War II documentaries because it was so heavily, so heavily a lot of footage. A lot of footage. And I think yeah. a lot of it is in public domain now, where you don't have to ask. Yeah. For. You know. Yeah. 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 So you you mostly just stick to I like that because even though you write sci-fi, that you actually more stick to the nonfiction. Yep. And I think that actually maybe is a benefit for you because it applies almost to your stories. Yeah, it's all it's all almost a lot of its research. Uh like I I read um a ton of Roman history. 
I was God, she, English God. history because uh, that does bleed in your scripts yep. too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the, one of my favorite. Um, uh, I, I recently read a couple books about uh, pirates um, under the black flag. I think is one of them, and then the other one's Empire of Blue Water. Um, and so, you know, pirates, pirates are really cool. Pirate history is really cool. And it's um, not, that's not how they well got known. Johnny Depp to do Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, really? Disney wanted them to do it. He's like, I'm not really interested. Uh, and they presented a bunch of content until he finally realized they're the kind of the original rock stars. Yes. Yes. They live the rock star lifestyle. Yes. Without musical instruments. I mean, yes. They just heck with society. <laughs> we have our own rules and imply it. And then. Yep. We may come to town and wreck havoc and mm-hmm. leave. And then once he sold, once he sold the idea that mm-hmm. pirates are actually kind of like rock stars, he bought into it. And then he kind of did his own Keith Richards. Yeah, that. That, 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 I suppose that, that inspired the Keith Richards. Yeah, <laughs> it is it, funny because in uh, in 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 Empire of Blue Blue Water, they they talk about how you know it, it used to be a debate among scholars about where did all of this money go. That the, where did where did all the where did all the money that they 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 stole from the the galleons and the people that they robbed where did it go? Well, they went down to Tortuga and they blew it on rum and hookers. <laughs> Just blow the money. <laughs> That's where it went. Obviously, pirates aren't going to steal money and uh, open up an account. Yeah, open a four hundred one k. There was there was no buried treasure. There was no retirement. There was it was. I think the whole yeah. is not, the, the idea of buried treasure is um, it's a game to make you think that there's something else. Yeah. The idea, like, where did this old money went? Well, they had to bury it. They didn't yeah. Go, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that they told those stories because they were fantastic liars, some of them. So. Well, I think the the, the fascinating thing of of 1812, where the government hired pirates in the mm-hmm. Battle of New Orleans, because they oh, knew the yeah. territory, like John Latif, they hired them. Mm. Uh, if you help us out, we absolve all your crimes. <laughs> Because you know this area better than we do. We'll pay you and we'll let you off the hook. But I think, yeah, that's very fascinating. I Mm -hmm. I think it gets romanticized, but the reality of them, just Mm -hmm. a a lot of pirates didn't even touch land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were always on the ship of just going to one town to another. and Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 How do we just, who who are we going to rape and pillage next? (laughs) And they 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 would do incredible daring land raids where they would, they would land on one shore and then gather all of their guys together and, and march sixty miles inland to raid a Spanish Spanish uh, right. mining colony and then march their way back with all the money and with all their slaves. And I I, I think it's fascinating because a lot of they were very creative. I mean, they were actually you know they tailored their ghost ships like they have <clears throat> attached ghost ships that nobody drove, but they would send them uh-huh. as a blockade. Oh, so you waste all your ammo on the ship that nobody's there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they sh- I think they told that technique on um, in the Game of Thrones TV. You know the the oh yeah with the empty ships. Yeah. This so you have to go around them, or you're gonna waste all the ammo to blow it and up. And who yeah. was the pirate that he stole that from? Because they actually did that. It, they did that tactic. I can't remember who the pirate was. Yeah, and pirate um, in the real life. Yeah, right. they, he did it in real life where they 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 were blockaded, they were trapped, blo- blockaded in. That the English had blocked or the Spanish had blockaded him in, and so what he did is they 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 gutted a ship, loaded it up with gunpowder, and then rolled it out to him, and then blew the whole thing, and they then they then they just they came right in out, out from the wreckage. They sink like yeah. they just blew the crap out of the Spanish. That is, is a real thing that that one of them did. I can't remember his name, but yeah. Yeah, I think history is you know like the, the Spartan three hundred. Yep, they get all the documentations. But what happened out in sea? Mm-hmm. It's far more fascinating, and mm-hmm. even though the Spartan three hundred get the the fame at the Battle of Thermopylae, mm-hmm. but what happened to see and how it, that how they defeated somebody of the Persian mm-hmm. with just their small little feet and how they navigated them mm-hmm. and basically tricked them into going to certain areas where mm-hmm. they're just going to get crash up to the rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would that 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 that's a really good history. I I've been my my wheelhouse now is is the the end of the the fall of the Roman Republic with um you know Julius between kind of between uh Sulla into Julius Caesar into Augustus and then, and then uh, Justinian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't I don't been, I haven't read all the way up to Justinian. I would say the end of the the first 5. Okay. So Nero. 
is mm-hmm. it's kind of that's where I, that's about where my that's that where we're my living in neuro times. Yeah. yeah, that's where, where that's where my real knowledge ends. My my knowledge of the emperor's past neuro is pretty pretty limited. I think uh, well, uh, I think everybody um, the Colosseum mm-hmm. is where Nero's pool was. Mm. So when his huge palace, <clears throat> and when he they got rid of his huge palace, they had this <clears throat> huge pool, and mm. then where they built the Colosseum, where the huge pool because they had the groundwork. And that's why the Colosseum was flooded sometimes. They were able to flood it to have ship battles. Because mm. mm-hmm. that actually was Nero's big, gigantic swimming pool before he turned into the Colosseum. And that's why I think they used that. We have all this piping. Mm-hmm. We could just build a, a war, you know, and oh, then okay. flood it as well. <laughs> yeah. Nero is a fascinating character. He's kind of like the original neckbeard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like if you, you look up his the the, port, the portraits of his of what he looked like in, in he had a neckbeard. He yeah. was a he was a complete neck. He was a complete. He was an ugly neckbeard. Um, and yeah. and he hated his mother. Um, Agrippina lusted yeah. after his mother and then murdered his mother. <laughs> I like the first time he tried a like a ship accident. The first time he yep. tried to kill her, like a like something fell on her on a shipment it completely went wrong. Yeah, it was very like, elaborate and didn't work. It yep. did, very elaborate, over the top, like mm-hmm. a comic book thing, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. And then he's like, "Oh, mom, are you okay?" Yeah, and, and then he and just she had she his, knew exactly. He what knew was, exactly what happened, so he just had his assassins just murder her in the house or something <laughs> like. I think, I think that's how it happened. They just he's they just, a fascinating character. Oh, he's ter- yeah, he's terrible. I I think the perception of him fiddling as Rome burn mm-hmm. gets wrong to have him not paying attention. Right. But it's his way of being an artist and expressing the sorrow because he's yeah. playing this song called the fall of Troy mm. and where he wasn't, he didn't, he knew he was going to act and help these people, but mm-hmm. he knew it was tragic. So the only way of him, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm a rock star, so I'll just play a song. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he, he's, he was terrible. And, and the, then the of course the two before Claudius were ter- even worse. Um, well, I don't know if you want. Depends on how you want to paint Tiberius. Um, Tiberius was a capable administrator, but he was also a, pe- a serial pedophile. Right. And then, yeah. of course, and when things got hard for him, he just went to his villa. Yep. I'm getting out of the city. See you yep. later. Yeah. Yep. And then Caligula was Caligula. <laughs> Well, you're going to be damaged if you live with Tiberius, you know, yeah. as a, a child and you see what yeah. they are, you know, yeah. I, I think Caligula, yeah, he definitely, you, you grew up with a traumatic life yeah. in the military. But I think that yeah. he was also, a, I think that he was also just a monster of a human being, you know. I think, I think it was a recipe yeah. of just so many things mm-hmm. going, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he was a psychopath, but then you put on the, yeah. put in the abuse and then the military background. Mm-hmm. It was just a recipe mm-hmm. that was just a perfect storm of a disaster. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the plebeians loved him because he would just show up and just throw money at him. And, yeah. But then he would just torture the, the noble class <laughs> as a horrible human being. Which, I th- if you like Roman uh, history, that's a little bit, it bleeds into your stories as well. Very much so. I, you know, I, um, on, uh, on one hand, I have the. <clears throat> Oh, within the within the, the two surviving nations in the in the wake of the battle of 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 Sindorum in the city above and below, um, the two surviving nations are the Republic and the Imperium. Yeah, and so that that's going to be kind of my version of a republic and an empire. I think it's fascinating that you put ancient Rome in there because ancient Rome is a blend of two cultures. You have Etruscan, yeah, which were the the blondes and the their 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 togas, and they're very much a republic. Yeah. Um, not uh, empire, empire, mm-hmm. and the blending of Latin, mm-hmm. the Latin culture where mm-hmm. the Latin, you know. yeah. So Rome is actually a blend of two different cultures mm-hmm. battling each other out. Yeah, yeah. yeah they they and it, that that was the that's that was what caused the fall of the republic was the 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 Italians versus the Romans and yeah, and the the or one of the causes and and so I I I I have that with the with the republic and that's what I've been working so hard on with. For book two is 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 getting the whole structure of the the rest of the series mapped out so that um you know I'm I'm gonna tell it many hundreds maybe thousands of years into the future as it goes um with the Republic and the Imperium and and how each one rises and falls yeah. against each other. All right, wonderful, Matthew. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, yeah. This is thank a lot you, of fun. Thank you for man. having me. Um, definitely when the second book is available, we'd love to have you come back. And I would love to come back. This would be great. Uh, yeah. As you know, um, if you listened before, it's not over to the guests say it's over. It's over. 